In all seriousness, what are chatbots good for? There's a lot of hype, there's a lot of headlines, but it's awful clear that there's a lot of very broken use cases in the chatbot world. There's very few businesses, relatively speaking, who are succinctly gleaning real value from sort of enhancing their conversational interfaces with AI in any real and meaningful way. There's not that many companies doing it well, and there's not that many businesses using those vendor companies, those AI companies, to employ it well. So we try to get to the heart of what is automatable, what are these conversational interfaces actually able to automate and handle? And what very firmly is still in the human purview to get a realistic perspective on what this stuff is good for? And luckily, we hit the nail on the head with this interview. I was very pleased with the business takeaways from this particular episode. In this episode on AI and industry, we interview Yoram Barak, who is the head of research at Digital Genius. Digital Genius is sort of a customer service augmentation slash automation service provider, technology provider. Previously, Yoram was working on NLP and deep learning at Microsoft Research for about eight years. And we go into depth on what chatbots are actually capable of. What is required to get a conversational agent or interface to be able to automate or suggest responses reliably in a way that actually benefits a business? Isn't a hassle, isn't just a mess, but actually is delivering value. What's required? It's not super easy, it's also not impossible, it's somewhere in the middle, and Yoram lays it out flat what it actually takes. In addition to that, at the end of this episode, Yoram goes into maybe five or six different kinds of parameters that any business owner or someone running a department can consider in terms of deciding how difficult or how easy it might be to automate the text-based conversational task in their domain, whether it's customer service, sales enablement, whatever the case may be. He talks about the specific criteria to think through to know whether or not a machine is going to be able to tackle this in the near term or not. So I think those sort of thought tools at the end of this episode are going to be very valuable for people to decide this is something I should consider now or not. And I thought that we had a, a very clear and concise conversation about that. I did have to catch Yoram on his home phone. We had some issues with Skype. He's over there in the UK, but his voice luckily did come through loud and clear, and the points that we got down to were darn well worthwhile. So I was glad that we got to the heart of the matter in this particular interview on what chatbots or conversational agents are good for in today's day and age. I hope you enjoy this one. This is Yoram with Digital Genius here on AI and Industry. So Yoram, I've seen your explainer video at Digital Genius, and I like it. I find a lot of explainer videos don't actually do that much explaining, and it's a little bit just more marketing terminology. I think you folks do a good job. I'd actually encourage the people tuned in to watch that to have an understanding of what you do. I'm interested, what does it take to train a conversational agent system to get to the point where it can automate a certain number of the responses that come into it and can maybe help augment a human responder in a way to kind of prompt them with simple messages. What has to happen on the front end to get a system to that point of kind of utility and functionality? What, what, what as humans, do we have to do up front? Okay, so maybe let me begin by explaining how the current product offering works. Sure. Basically, what we do is we are, we're integrated with CRM systems, in our case, Salesforce and Zendesk. What we do is we grab historical data, so actual responses that actual agents said in conversations with customers. We take all of these past conversations and we process them. Once we process them, we build a machine learning model, and this model is capable of basically figuring out what's the best response for a question that the customer comes with. Or to be more precise, what we do is we look at the conversation prefix, everything that has been said so far, 
ending with the last customer utterance, and then we try and figure out what is the best agent response for this. What would a human agent say in, in that point in the conversation? So currently, in, in terms of making this work, we have to grab the, the original transcripts, the original conversations, and process them. The processing is not too long. We're talking about a matter of a couple of hours, and obviously there is additional setup for the integration, in our case, with Endesk and Salesforce. Yep. So generally, any, any system that tries and ingests past conversations to make predictions about what's the right thing to say in, in previously unobserved conversation, in a new conversation that comes in, has to operate that way. If, if you're asking about you know, how long does it take to train the model, then I'm saying it's a matter of hours or for the more complicated ones, I would say at most a day. But then there's additional integration work. For Zendesk, for example, we see shorter integration times than for Salesforce because the complexity is slightly lower. But other than that, you know, we're talking about a matter of days to set up a working system. Got it. Um, okay. Having said that, you know, having said that, the, the current product does not handle full conversations. So I, I think if the expectation is, you know, the system will be able to answer any incoming customer, then that's not the case at this point. I think we're quite far from that. What we can do is handle the most simple cases if someone is asking for something very routine that has been observed previously in, in the conversation. So, if, you know, if most of the incoming calls are about, you know, canceling or issuing a subscription and that's what the new call is about, chances are better that we'll be able to answer it more easily. Yes, and I think for the folks who know anything about this space, I think there's probably very few of them that would expect to full-blown automate their customer service with all the nuances and details. But just talking about this initial setup, you touched on something important that generally training the model once you have access to those historical tickets is, is not you know all that complicated. I'm thinking of random examples like I'll just pull something out of nowhere. Like there's a company in Boston called Wayfair and they sell furniture and they sell it at extremely high volumes to the tune of billions of dollars. If they were to use a solution of this kind, my guess is, again, we would take you know, their historical, let's say that they use Zendesk, I have no idea if they do, but we take their historical kind of massive ticket log, which is probably would best be described as gargantuan, and we would process those tickets in order to garner the patterns and kind of the, the wording and the general templates that are used and whatnot. Quick question on, on that, you know, generally how far back does a company want to go to sort of take this information into account. I know, for example, Amazon is not necessarily looking at the correlation between the purchase of two different items of clothes from two years ago because, you know, styles change, fashions change, preferences change, demographics change, and their recommendations might be kind of specific to this season or even this weekend. Never mind, you know, they don't need eight years of people buying, you know, Levi jeans to make it a recommendation today. How far back do you generally have to go, Yoram? So, you know, in, in our cases, I, I would say we're going back a year or maybe even more. But I, I think you're touching on something interesting. So generally, for us to build a good model, we need to have enough data. And if, you know, if there is a huge call volume, it might not be going back too much in time. But usually we, we need to go back enough in time and, and have, you know, let's say a good couple of months or a year for the model to start working well. On the other side, there is freshness. So as, as you said, you know, in some cases, things change, and the more things change and you take into account conversations that happened before things changed, you might make the wrong recommendations. Yep. So really, I mean, there are a couple of ways to tackle this. What we're doing currently is we're trying to handle an answers bank. 
So these are commonly used answers, and those could be kept fresh by the customer. So Got if someone it. says, look, you know, this response would have been fine a year ago, but it's absolutely wrong now because we've changed the regulations or we're not selling this product anymore. So this is something we can take into account. One option is to try and find data where this doesn't occur, uh, but there is a more direct route, and that is to say, look, this answer is wrong. So when we're training the system, we're learning on the fly. If the system issues a wrong recommendation, we get the feedback from the agent supervising yeah. the machine, yeah. basically. Cool. And you had mentioned something I definitely wanted to touch on, Yoram, which I appreciate, which is the, the answers bank. My assumption was the following, and, and it seems like you're touching on this already. If I work at Wayfair and I employ a system like the kind that you folks use in customer service, when all of my past conversations are scanned, you know, what was the first message, second message, what was the satisfaction rate of this person, whatever, drink it all in, that probably the machine, you know, would have a chance of making a guess about what the quote-unquote templates are. Like it could identify common patterns and say, okay, it appears to me as though these are common responses that I, as the machine, am going to call templates. But my actual, mm -hmm. mo my more thorough guess was that humans would provide the core up-to-date general templates and that the machine would actually have to take those into account rather than inventing them on what it saw in the historical two years. It sounds like a combination of the two. How does that work? Okay, so <laughs> I wish it was that easy. Uh, <laughs> okay, so you're asking basically how organized the customer is. And the answer is, as usual, it varies. So some customers come really well prepared. And what happens is a lot of the times their agents already have good banks of templates because they're, they keep on giving the same answers and they say, okay, why, why on earth would I have to type it again and again and again? I just want to fire this up. So, you know, in, in the more organized places, they would have these canned answers or template already baked into their CRM solution. And, you know, some CRM solutions offer that. So you can define something like a template and then if you want to send this template, you just click on a button rather than typing the whole thing in. If they make good use of that, then, you know, perfect. And then we already have a good template candidate. Other places are less organized. So what you would see is, you know, agents opening WordPad or Notepad on the side, <laughs> typing in uh, wow. stuff that they say routinely, and then, you know, doing copy and paste. So this is a more disorganized customer. We can apply a process where, you know, we, we look at what agents are saying and trying to relate them together. You know, you can apply clustering to try and figure that out. But, you know, the, the reality is for the current offering, I think the best solution is if you have a customer that comes ready and says, look, you know, I, I understand that I want to automate things. Here are some uh, answers from the bank. These are answers my agents routinely use. And I want those to be the templates. And that's a very, very good start. If not, then you know, we, we can always use, I mean, any historical utterance said by a customer could be a candidate. You can try and operate in that mode. The problem is usually if the customer is less organized, there's a huge variability in what agents say. So, yeah. you know, in fact, you, you give the same question to two agents, one might say yes, one might say no. Right? And that's the harder, more challenging thing to tackle. Yes. Um, so obviously, uh, the more organized you are, the better the solution will work. This is a really important point to consider, and it's so logical. Hardly anyone would call this counterintuitive. This is intuitive. It's like if you want to model excellence in the machine, the closer you are to precisely modeling excellence with your humans, the better off you are going to be to train your machines. And it sounds like for you, the organization of the customer, in this case, the customer of Digital Genius, of, of your own product, of the business using your business product, you know, the level of organization that they come in with and the level of kind of 
succinctness and specificity of their existing response structure, the easier it's going to be to very quickly take a response and know which one of these has a high confidence rate of being right. And so it sounds like organization off the bat is very helpful for you. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, some people have this view that, you know, AI is sort of magic and, you know, it will just digest all the the previous conversations and figure out what to say next, but it doesn't work that way. Yes. Those of our listeners right now who've been tuned into the podcast for, you know, years or even just have listened to this as like their fourth or fifth episode are pretty familiar that this is the anti-magic podcast. We find what (laughs) is actually happening and we destroy the myths of magic about artificial intelligence. And I appreciate your um, your perspective here because you're you're the guy back there building these systems. So that's why we learn from folks like yourself. So just to put a final touch on that before we look forward into the future, and I appreciate your perspective on this, like you said, any historical utterance could potentially be drawn in by the machine with a rate of confidence to be presented to the agent. So for the people listening in who aren't familiar with how this works, again, I recommend watching the how-to or the explainer video on Digital Genius. But If the machine doesn't automate the message, it will prompt the templates that could be a fit, and then the human has an opportunity to edit those and send them, or to write a new one, and all of that will feed into the system and help to train it. My guess is, Yoram, that let's say I work at Wayfair, and I have 107 saved templates that handle everything from like different refund situations, different purchase situations, different questions about customer support hours, all different crazy things. And I say, okay, here's my template bank. But at the same time, there have been very unique, weird questions about, let's say, you know, Wayfair sells beds. So maybe like bedding. There's some weird questions about that that have been asked, you know, hundreds or maybe thousands of times and have been answered by agents. But it's always kind of been answered on the fly by agents because there's no template. When another ticket of that sort comes through, is it possible, I bet it's not 100% of the time, but is it possible that the machine would be able to draw in those non-banked answers and say, hey, this is unique, there's no bank for this, but based on historicals, this is what's kind of said here, and here's how confident I am about it. Is that possible with the where today's tech is? Yeah, so look, in terms of if you ask about state-of-the-art models, and you know there are systems, for example, things called sequence-to-sequence models, or state-of-the-art that people use for building conversational agents and, and machine translation that will do that. So they will basically be able to digest a huge corpus of conversations and then issue out an utterance that has been never said before and, and generalize. But when it comes to actual customer service, we found that you know models operate much better in terms of the research we have done and the evaluation if it's the more frequent cases and if you apply answers from the bank. So that's not to say there isn't technology that can do this. But if you look at the quality of what it produces, your probability of issuing a correct answer drops quite drastically. In general, what you see, I mean, if you look at the issues that customers have, it's sort of a long tail distribution. So, you know, some things are super common. They dominate the data. You know, in some cases, maybe 80% of the volume of incoming conversations are about the same 100 problems. And then if you focus on those things, these lower hanging fruits are easier to solve and they actually have a greater value because more common. I I don't want to say, look, it's impossible to do. There has been tremendous progress in in the recent few years, let's say five years in, in the field of deep learning and neural nets that basically move this a serious notch forward in terms of what the systems can do. And we do use neural networks, we do use deep learning, but still, even in this case, when you employ the best technology available, it's still very, very helpful if customers say, okay, look, 
These are very, very common answers. This is a good way of saying that maybe some agents would use slightly different words. Maybe some agents would use a completely different utterance. But I think this is a good answer for an agent to give. It's still very, very helpful. Yes, you know, the system would be able to create a system would be able to create completely unobserved, previously unobserved utterance, a language model, basically. Yep. But in terms of your ability to hit the right thing, that's much more difficult this way. Great to know. And again, really important to clarify, right? People who are out there in the market in Urim, you know more about this than I do. But I just know that in general, people who work with vendor companies like yourself normally show up with either an idea that this stuff is close to impossible and they're overly skeptical or that it's magic and that it can do everything. And, and again, I appreciate the clarity, the granularity and the sort of objectivity of, hey, look, you should focus on your 80% in terms of your 80-20 here, you know, nail your high volume because sure, we could work at, you know, programmatically generating a unique response, but this is really not where the business ROI is today. And that's good to know, right? That's frankness and honesty, and that's why we interview people who know what the heck the state of the tech is. So that's very, very useful to know. I hope the people tuned in sort of have a better perception of what's possible versus not possible and where the darn ROI is, because I know a lot of our listeners don't learn about AI because it's fun. They learn about AI because it'll either keep them or put them out of business in terms of their competitiveness in the market. That being said, your last question that I thought you'd be the right fella to speak to about there are some businesses that will be more likely to automate more of their customer support inquiries than others. And maybe let's say five years from now, there might be some businesses where 50% or more, or maybe even higher than 50%, or maybe it's much lower, you would know better than I, of their customer support volume will essentially be automatable. My guess is this is high volume people who have a tremendous amount of volume, who have only a certain relatively limited number of questions Maybe we're talking about a price point of a purchase or a product that's maybe not too high so that people are going to ask a million questions. But these are all just guesses. In, from your projections into the future, Yoram, who are the folks who are most likely to automate the highest percentage of their tickets in the next five years in business? Okay, so that, I think this is a really important question. And, and we ask ourselves this all the time in terms of the focus of the company. So I wish I could say, look, here's a simple answer. Here are some industries uh, where things are super easy to automate, and here are some industries where it's super hard. You know, that's not the case. It's not as simple as that. So you touched on some important parameters. So, for example, what you said is if there's a high variability of questions and answers, that's definitely going to be harder to automate, and, and that's absolutely true. Another thing you might want to consider is how consistent your current agents are in the mm, answers that they yeah, give. Yeah, uh, yeah. And one reflection of this is how long it takes to train a new human agent. Right? If a new agent joins and, and they have to give customer service, they go through some training process. If this training process takes a huge amount of time, and even after that, they will still have to do a lot of research for every new customer that comes in, then you know, that's an indication that this is hard. You know, if it's hard for a human to do, it's going to be hard for the machine to do as well. If it's very quick to train a new agent and the company is super consistent and there's a, a low number of questions, then that's obviously easier to do. If you come better prepared as a customer, you say, look, when I train my human agents, I try and ask them to be consistent, then that's clearly going to help to train an AI. Those are only some of the parameters. So you, know, you mentioned volume, like how many transcripts, how many conversations do you have? Yes. And again, you know, there's no magic number. It's not to say, like, look, if you have 100,000 conversations, that's fine. Because again, it depends on how varied the questions are yep. and how varied the answers are. 
Another parameter to consider is the length of the conversation. So generally, you know, if conversations or chats are fairly short, customer come and, and ask for a product or to renew a subscription or to change something, it takes, let's say, five to 10 utterances, then that's an easy case. If on the other hand, this is something like, say, technical support for a very complicated product and, you know, they're being asked a lot of questions by the agent, they give a lot of different answers and, you know, the conversation goes on and it's 100 utterances and obviously this is going to be harder to tackle. We do have customers from various industries. So, you know, it's not just one industry. Of course. Some of them are uh, easier than others. So, for example, you know, even within the same industry, some customers are just much easier than others because the domain is simpler. But certainly you, you do have to have enough volume of conversation. Yes. Uh, especially if you have a complex product. So people also ask us about languages. So, for example, oh, the company yeah, that call, we use call, is, is yeah. language agnostic. But, you know, some of our customers operate in more than lang- one language. So, you know, you need to have enough data in each of the languages. So, fine, the technology can be applied in any language. You do have to have the data to support it. Yep. Huh. Okay, good Good call. I'm I'm going to actually make sure that these are really highlighted in the interview, Yoram, and so I'll tell you what I have jotted down. I have, you know, certainly the the volume of instances and conversations is big. And like you said, there's no darn magic number. It's not 50,000. It's not 200,000 because who knows? All the other parameters could be different. But generally, the more the better on conversations. Okay, good to know. How consistent are the agents currently? I mean, this is another parameter that you had mentioned. And how hard is it to train agents? Are you a company where within two days you basically are going to get the same kind of output as you would from someone who's been there for six months? Or are you a company where really after about a year, your customer support people are really hitting their stride versus kind of right off the bat? What's the complexity of questions incoming? What's the complexity of answers outgoing? And then also, how long are the conversations And that was a last parameter as well. Are there any other important considerations? I'm imagining the business people tuned into this show thinking to themselves, where's my business fit in? What are the other parameters I should be thinking about? Is there anything else that really is kind of critical to consider? Or is that a pretty good nutshell of the parameters that tend to influence how easily or how hard it will be to automate your customer service? So, look, I think there are a lot of other parameters that affect it. So, for example, you know, you can look at the, you know, the vocabulary that agents use or, or trends. But I think a good way to gauge it is to, to think about, you said, that how long does it take to train an agent? You can also ask yourself and actually measure it in the data. If I take two different agents, would they give me exactly the same answer or would they give me, you know, very different answers? So, for example, in some domains, if the regulations of the company are well-defined and agents are well aware of them, then they would generally tend to agree on what's the right thing to say to the customer. It could be the case where they would just pick the same template and they would speak, you know, exactly the same words. Yes, yes, yes. But even if they don't, you know, it, it might be a slight variation, maybe a minor change in phrasing, or it could be that they would give you, you know, two completely different answers. One would say, sure, we can uh, refund you, or and another one would say, no, I'm sorry, we cannot. So, you know, if you have this and you have a, a high degree uh, of disagreement between your own human agents, then that's an indication that it's going to be hard for an AI to tackle the domain. And actually, you already have a serious problem where your agents are not consistent and, and you should consider how you should improve that, even <laughs> if you don't go with AI. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's like, even if you don't use our exercise machine, you should be working out a little bit more because something is wrong. Yeah, that's certainly safe to say. That's a problem that's maybe not necessarily one that you would originate. That's something that would come 
with the client. So it sounds like the rule of thumb, as a closing note, Yoram, and I appreciate your insights on this, the rule of thumb is, look, how variable is your current output and responses from your various humans, and how hard is it to train a human? And that's probably a pretty good proxy for where you sit on the ease or difficulty of using machines to do the same job. It sounds like that's, if I'm going to use one rule of thumb quote here, it sounds like that's a pretty big one to take home and think about. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. And honestly, I mean, even if you don't use AI, right, if you have a new agent coming in and they already have a system and you have a good answers bank and, you know, their peer agents would be able to help them easily with what to do, then that, that's a good indication that, that you're already halfway there. And AI can build on that and, and help you improve things further. Cool. Okay. Excellent. Nice. So that, that is food for thought for everybody tuned in. Yoram, I really appreciate the clarity here. And I like that you didn't have a simple answer. I like that you gave us parameters and something real to think about. So thank you for the nuance and the detail and for sharing your insights here on AI and industry. Thank you very much for the opportunity here to interview with you. That's all for this episode on the AI and Industry Podcast, where we explore the applications and implications of AI in your business or industry. And when it comes to those benefits of real insight in terms of artificial intelligence applications in business, this show is really just the tip of the iceberg. AI and Industry is produced by Tech Emergence, and over at techemergence.com, you can find actionable industry-specific coverage, including case studies, unique market research with charts and graphs, and regular coverage of the AI applications of both the hottest startups here in the Bay Area, as well as what Fortune 500 companies are doing with AI today. Everything from marketing and advertising, business intelligence, to specific industries like finance and healthcare, you can stay ahead of the curve and stay on the right side of disruption by visiting techemergence.com. And when you're there, make sure to sign up for our weekly newsletter on the left-hand side of the page. Uh, most of our podcast listeners get our, the episodes directly to their inbox every week. You'll be joining tens of thousands of other business leaders who join us from all over the world to stay ahead of the curve of AI in their specific industry. So that's techemergence.com. Uh, I'm Dan Fagella. This is AI and Industry, and we'll catch you next week. Thank you.